who are still traveling today. Now, several announcements for us before we kick off this morning. First of all, if you're free this afternoon at 4.30, there'll be a prayer time here in the sanctuary led by Greg and Cecilia Till. It's an opportunity to gather together to pray for one another, to pray for the church, to pray for the nations, to pray for our city. That'll be today, 4.30 in this room. Now, our Christmas season is upon us. If you can't tell, there's already Christmas decorations up, and that means all the Christmas fellowships start this week. And so our full schedule is on the website at gatewaybaptist.com. Just go to News and Events, and there's a Christmas blog which lists everything coming up over the next four weeks. But the first event begins this coming Friday evening, and that's for the ladies. It's a ladies' Christmas fellowship. There's an ornament swap. And game night, they'll be in the gym building at 7 o'clock on Friday night that Trish Butterfield has put together for us. So ladies, hope you'll come to that. You do not need to register. Just come show up. Bring an ornament. If you have certain games you like to play, bring those. But we'll have other games provided and everything else you need. There'll be drinks and refreshments and just be a fun evening together. So this Friday night, ladies, you're kicking off our Christmas season together. Now for our members, something important coming up. As you know, we're a congregational church. That means the accountability for what happens at Gateway lies with you the members. Our accountability is not with the denomination. It's not with the elder team. It is with you, the people of Gateway. And so once a year, we do an annual business meeting. We don't do this every month like some churches you may have come from are used to doing. We do this once a year. And this is an important part of the life of the church. In fact, it's so important. We're going to do it very different this year to make it easier for you to come. And that will be in two weeks from today on December 11th. It'll be immediately following the service, so no excuse if it was not convenient to come back on Sunday night. It'll be right after the church service, and it'll be in the gymnasium. We will feed you lunch. Yes, the member meeting is that important. We're going to provide you a free pizza lunch for you and your family in the gym building after the service ends. We'll be done by 1.30. We're going to keep it to an hour and a half, so we'll eat lunch. We'll start meeting right away afterwards, and so if you're going to come so we have enough food, we need you to register. So this is just for our members, not for our guests. Um, but for members, if you'll just go to the website, again, gatewaybaptist.com, click on News and Events, you'll see it at the very top. There's a place for you to register. If just one of you from your family will register, there'll be a place that you can tell us how many others are coming to that. So all the details are on that. And one part of that, as you know, this is budget season for us. And again, the accountability for the church budget lies with you, the members. And so church members, you'll be receiving from us tomorrow a budget proposal for the new year. You have two weeks to look over this. If you have questions, you can stop by the church office. Any of us on staff will be happy to answer your questions. If you don't want to wait for your email tomorrow and you like paper copies, these are on Aaron's desk in the church office. So before you leave today, you just head right down the hall, go in the church office, and you'll see it laying on the counter right there. You can go ahead and take a physical copy with you today. But over the next two weeks, if you have any questions, please come let us know. We're an open books church. We'd love to talk to you about that. Well, it is Christmas season, so over the next four weeks, even though we're continuing through First Peter, we want to begin our services each week with Advent readings. And so over the next four weeks, each week, a different one of our deacons and his family will be coming up to kick off the service for us by reading a scripture and lighting the Advent candle. So today, our Advent reading is on the topic of hope, and John Glasscock, one of our deacons and his family, Lisa and Robin and Sarah, are going to be coming up here, and they're going to read a scripture for us and light the Advent candle to kick us off before we sing to the Lord this morning. Today we're reading from Hebrews 10, uh, verses 19 through 25, and it's a call to perseverance and faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Yeah. 
precious truths we have just proclaimed, that we can say with confidence today that our lives are hid with Christ. And because of that, we know that you, the just and holy judge, you're satisfied.
because all of our sins were put on Christ. And so we do not stand before you condemned. We do not stand before you guilty. We stand before you forgiven and cleansed because it's all put on Christ and because all of his righteousness was given to us. Lord, what a precious truth we have just proclaimed. And Lord, because of that, we can sing about joy. We can sing about hope, even in the darkest valley, because we know that we belong to you. And so Lord, we ask for much grace to have that perspective in these weeks to come. But we just sang a song where we said that the shepherd is all I need. And Lord, it's easy to sing those words, yet you know our hearts and you know how quickly that's not the way we live. Lord, we confess this morning that we can say in a song that you are all we need, but our lives show something so different so much of the time. Lord, we need so many other things we think besides you. And so Lord, forgive us for those times when we, even this week, have looked to find our security in anything apart from Christ, to find our identity apart in anything apart from Christ, and Lord, even our hope in anything apart from knowing you. So forgive us for looking to so many other things besides knowing you for all we need. Lord, what we're just saying is our prayer and our request that you would lead us and guide us, even in the darkest valley, that you would be the shepherd who leads and guides us every step of the way. And Lord, we know that you are good. We know that you are faithful and you will do that. And so, Lord, would you even this week stir my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters to long to have you lead us. Lord, give us a holy longing to pursue you, to know more of you, to know more of your word, to spend more time with you, knowing that you desire to lead us, your people. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our shepherd. Thank you that you are our great high priest. These are incredible things that we have just sung. I pray that those would not just be theoretical truths for us, but our experience this Advent season, that you are our shepherd leading us. You are our great high priest who is interceding for us. And because of that, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence this morning and every day, knowing that we belong to you. Lord, even as we celebrate that grace we have and we celebrate that joy, Lord, we're reminded that all around the world are people who not even don't have that. They've never even heard the invitation to this type of joy and this type of hope and this type of being led by a shepherd. And so this morning, I want to pray for the people of Kenya. When I know when I think of Kenya, I think so often of the churches there and so much of the spread of the gospel. And Lord, we're thankful for that. But Lord, there are still 33 unreached people groups in that nation's Groups that do not know of Christ, that do not have access to the gospel, these Hindu groups, these Muslim groups right there in the middle of Kenya. And so we pray this Advent season, Lord, you would burden the church in Kenya to take the gospel to their neighbors, to think that right in Nairobi, where there's so many mega churches right there, there's people who've never heard the name of Jesus. I pray you would burden the believers there to take the gospel to those unreached people. And I pray you burden our hearts for those who've never heard in Kenya, but also right here in Montgomery. So we pray in these weeks to come, this Christmas season, you would give us eyes to see people around us the way you see people around us. Lord, that we not be so busy with all the events and activities and things we do that we would miss the opportunity to share the love of Christ with those we meet. So Lord, would you burden our hearts for the lost around us, whether they're family members, whether they're neighbors, whether they're friends, whether they're just strangers we meet. And God, would you increase our burden this Christmas season to make you known here and to make you known around the world. Lord, we're just so thankful that we get to gather this morning to talk to you, Lord, to sing your praises, to celebrate the grace we have in Christ. 
Lord, I pray for our brother CJ this morning. We're so thankful for him, so thankful for the way he shepherds this body. And Lord, I'm just grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to work alongside him. And I pray today, Lord, that you would bless him as he teaches your word as we continue our journey through 1 Peter and we come to the end of chapter 2 today and we are reminded of the gospel again, Lord. I pray that you would stir our hearts afresh to have awe and wonder at what we have in Christ. And Lord, I pray we'd be quick to praise you for all that you have done. And Lord, we thank you for the offerings that have been given online or put in the box in the back of the room this morning. Lord, we thank you that we get to give back to you what you've already given to us. We are a blessed people. We thank you that we get to give back. We pray that you would use what's been given today and this week, Lord, for your name to go forth here in Montgomery and to the uttermost parts of the world. And Lord, we will give you the praise because you're our shepherd you're our high priest. You're our savior. You are all we need. So have your way in our midst this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, first of fourth graders, you are dismissed to kids' worship with Mr. Jeff. First of fourth grade, you're dismissed to kids' worship. And while they're headed to kids' worship, before CJ comes, he has a video he wants to show you to kick off the sermon this morning. of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace Well, you can't get him out of your mind. 
gather myself. <laughs> um, I never get tired of showing that. Sometimes we just need a reminder, amen? And guys, that's why we're here this morning, the hope of our King. We're here to celebrate the beginning of Advent, which is the coming of the incarnation, the God-man coming in the flesh. And um, for those of you in this room, and again, safe to say that I know there may be some in this room that don't know the hope of Christ, that you're in this room still searching, you're still seeking, you're still here with questions, that you haven't placed your faith in the one who is our hope. And so, as you can tell from all the songs and everything that's been said, you're going to hear a lot more about it right now. It's in your face. And I, I've been praying all morning. I've been interceding, preparing for this week. Um, even taught the kids, the youth group over there this morning, some of the same stuff. So if you're in this room today and you have not come to Christ, I am praying that you will be miserable this morning in a good way, that the Holy Spirit is stirring something in you. You can't be moved and something happened within your being with what we have just sung, with what we have already heard, what Grady has just prayed, that God is moving this morning. So I have high expectations that God's at work, amen, that the Holy Spirit has something he wants to do this morning, not just for those that are in this room that may not have, are not believers, but for those of us who are, that we need a reminder of our hope. We need a reminder of what we've been called to, who we are, and that the, our King has come, and the reminder of all those amazing attributes that Jesus shows us and relates with us in our relationship. So that was Dr. Lockridge. That video is available on YouTube. I watch it often, just as a wonderful encouragement and reminder. And so today's really a part two of last week of what Grady taught. And so we're going to see even this week about these verses in Peter of God encouraging us through him, of the hope that we have in the incarnation. And guys, that's what we're celebrating today, the incarnation, the hope that has come to us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Am I too far, guys, this way? There we go. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Sorry, you guys, my nose is running today, so bear with me. But last week, Great encouraged us with his main point to look to the perfect example of Christ, who is the Word. He is the Word who became flesh, our hope to find strength to trust God in the midst of of our suffering. Peter was obviously challenging the Christians of the day that when you go through situations and specifically the servants of their masters who are in situations of slavery and serving those in authority over them, that there's going to be times as Christians in those jobs and those environments and those roles that you are going to suffer, that you're going to have to endure, and that we are called to that. Literally, that's what we've been called to, to do good and then sometimes in those situations, we're going to suffer for it. And then we are to patiently endure. And Grady encouraged us last week that we are able to endure and live joyfully and patiently as we are mindful of Christ and why he came. And so I just love in God's providence. I mean, think about it, guys. We could have been anywhere in 2 Peter, right? I mean, 1 Peter. And today we're in this section on the first day of Advent talking about the hope we have in Christ. That is no accident, <laughs> God providentially has us here in this moment to encourage us, to remind us with the beauty of the gospel and the hope that we have. So why did the word become flesh? Why did the word come and dwell 
among us. And according to what we see here in 1 Peter, he came to suffer unjustly. He came to entrust himself to the one who judges righteously and justly, his father. In Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So today, in part two of this, we're going to be reminded again by Peter, not just what Jesus didn't do, which we saw last week. Great, he did a wonderful job of showing us that Jesus committed no sin. He, there was no deceit found in his mouth. He did not revile or cast insults. And he uttered no threats as he endured unjust suffering. And so today, with the final two verses of this section, we're going to look and see what Jesus did do. And Peter's reminding us of the unique suffering and death that Jesus endured. So really what, Jesus, what Peter is saying in this section, 21 through 25, is in these situations of life that you are going to experience as a believer. Guys, just so you know, this is a part of the job description. It's a part of the DNA of being a Christian. We are going to suffer. We are going to have to endure trials and tribulations and struggles. It's a part of what we've been called to. And that's okay. And we're going to see today why we should even rejoice in that or be rest in that. Not getting up every day like, woohoo, Lord, what do I get to endure today? That's not the mindset, but we get up resting and acknowledging the fact that we can endure, that we have the power within us through Christ to be able to walk in this life and endure in joy and faithfulness in the Lord. So that's what we're going to look at today, to look to the cross, to literally, as Grady just prayed, and we sung all morning, to meditate on the gospel. I want to recommend this little book that Greg did a great job of bringing to the forefront in our body, and he taught this with our foundations class. It's called The Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. We've got some copies in the Resource Center. Guys, as, as he and I has taught, this is one of the best little gems on just pure gospel. It is filled with dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures, and it's beautiful, and I'm going to read from a, a couple excerpts from it. So I highly recommend this as a foundational tool of just knowing the gospel, being reminded of the gospel, and being able to even share it with others. But I love this. A little intro thing here by Pastor C.J. Mahaney um, in regards to this and what we're going to look at today. Mahaney says, If there's anything in life that we should be passionate about, it's the gospel. And I don't mean passionate only about sharing it with others. I mean passionate about thinking about it, passionate about dwelling on it, rejoicing in it, allowing it to color the way we look at the world. Only one thing can be of first importance to each of us, and only the gospel ought to be. And I love this phrase where the gospel, we should allow it to color the way we look at the world. And guys, that's what Peter's encouraging us to do here. The gospel should color the way we look at suffering unjustly. It should color the way we look at how we approach this life and how we respond in certain situations in this pagan and hostile world that we've been called to represent the gospel in the kingdom of God in. So that's what we're going to look at today, these final two scriptures of looking to the cross, the beauty of the gospel, and how we can be encouraged in that and how we respond appropriately. So that was the intro. Let's stand. And let's read the word of God in honor of that. I'm going to have us read the verses that Grady did last week because it's literally a flow and connects directly as a part two of this. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And this morning, um, like me and Greg, I'm a New American Standard guy. So uh, I'm reading from the NASV this morning. All right, here we go. Verse 21. 
For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And here we are this morning. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. For you are continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Lord, we thank you so much for the beauty of the gospel. And Lord, just as Mahaney said, God, may we never, never, never tire of hearing the gospel, of hearing the beauty of what you came to do, of rescuing us, of saving us, of transforming us. And we get to experience that again this morning. We thank you for these verses and how we get to see a glimpse of your beauty, your splendor, your majesty, of you coming to earth, God with us, Emmanuel, coming in the flesh to transform and to save us. And we thank you and we just say, Holy Spirit, continue to have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, move across this sanctuary. And for those specifically, God, I pray in the name of Jesus, that a spirit of conviction would fall upon this place, that there would be some here that come to a place of repentance and would place their faith and trust in you this morning. Why not today be the day of salvation as we celebrate the hope that we have in Christ, the coming of our King, in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at these beautiful two verses as we look to the cross. Verse 24, again. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. What I love about these, this little section, even what Grady preached last week, but especially, especially these two verses, um, Peter is kind of like looking to the truths and the beauty in the scriptures of scriptures he grew up on. He literally, in these verses, are sharing with the Jewish and Gentile Christians of the day a truth that he knew his whole life, that he heard in the synagogue. One of the most amazing passages in the entire Bible he's gleaning from, and he's encouraging the Christians here with these truths. And guys, I just want to encourage you, um, during this season of Advent, during this season um, of Christmas and all that, two passages, I just want to encourage you as a shepherd, dive into John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and dive into season and meditate upon Isaiah 53. Just soak in it over the next few weeks. And that's where he took us. If we look at Isaiah 53, verse 4, this is what Peter is trying to communicate. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Look at the wording he used here in verse 24 again. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Isaiah 53, 4, he himself bore our iniquities. I mean, it's kind of like just the way we grew up. It's like the Holy Spirit is bringing these things back to mind for Peter to encourage the church about one of the greatest Old Testament passages. And I'm sure the Gentile Christians don't know this passage. They wouldn't have known it, but here's the Holy Spirit saying, here's the prophecy. Here's Isaiah 53. Here's the beauty of a prophecy that God gave 700 years before the birth of Christ. And Peter's bringing this encouragement and this truth to the Christians he is writing to. 
So he himself bore our sins. And so simply that means that bore our sins. He's carrying our sins. He's taking our sins upon himself on the cross. And uh, Isaiah 53, 11 talks about this even further. Same chapter. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. This entire section of Isaiah 53, and it goes back a little bit even to Isaiah 52 toward the end of that chapter, where here God is talking about his suffering servant. He's pointing the way to Christ who's to come, this Messiah, this one who's going to come to suffer for mankind. And there where he says he bears their iniquities, when he's taking our iniquities upon himself. And iniquities, guys, always like to remind folks of this. The word iniquity is one of the most the synonymous with sin, but it's just a more detailed re- revealing of our heart. And iniquity means having one's own way. And that's, that's, where, that's our nature, to have our own way. And this is what Peter's trying to encourage the church here, is to remember what Jesus did. And it's twofold to remember what he did, but also to remember who you were. <laughs> He's going to try to compare here and contrast our condition, the state we were in before and after what Jesus endured. So he bore our iniquity. And guys, this is one of the most beautiful displays of the gospel. And what did he, he justified? He bore the iniquities to justify. This word is amazing. That we have been justified through Christ. It's a judicial term. It means literally to be declared righteous or not guilty. And this ties in with the substitutionary atonement. This is what Jesus came to do as the sacrificial lamb, the perfect lamb, to bear the wrath of the Father and to pay the price for our sins. And I love in verse 10, it's a very difficult verse sometimes to read in Isaiah 53, but the just judge, the Father, it literally says in verse 10, was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. His own father was pleased to crush him because sin had to be paid for. Sin could not be tolerated. There had to be justification that took place for us. And that's what Jesus came to do. We have been justified. One of my favorite verses in all the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him, I'm just going to read it with the pronouns, but put, put the actual names in. So he, the Father, God the Father, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Guys, in your Bibles, if you like to write, this is literally the justification verse. This verse is justification, that he, God the Father, made Jesus, our atoning sacrifice, to come and be sin, literally bear everything the Father was going to give out for sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. And I love how Peter ties that in here. Look at verse 24 again. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that, I love how Peter put this in to clarify, why did he bear our sins? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. A lot of people just stop at the first one. Oh yeah, he just died for our sins to forgive us, to cleanse us, to take away our sins. But that's, not, that's just one side of the coin. It's two sides to it. The purpose of God coming to suffer unjustly for us was twofold. 
to die to sin, but to live to righteousness. And I love how Peter puts that here as a reminder for the church to understand this. I read in one commentary this week, said his death was not merely to forgive sins, but to empower us to live for righteousness. When we die to sin, our new reality is living to righteousness. One causes the other. So here we are walking on life in our sin, in our iniquity, in our depravity, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit does his job, conviction. And we recognize at that moment that we're a sinner, that we need God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. Amen? And some of you right now are in this room. I'm hoping right now this is starting to become a revelation and an actual reality. That I need Christ. I am a sinner needing forgiveness. And so when you acknowledge that and you, you pray to God, forgive me my sins, I ask you, God, to come and cleanse me, purify me, and I recognize your forgiveness. If that's all it was, what should God do at that moment if that's all salvation is? Beam me up, Scotty, right? I've been forgiven. I'm a new creature. I'm forgiven of my sins. All good. God should what? Just take us home right then. But that's not the purpose. It's twofold. That's the first thing. Then the word comes in that we what? Repent. Forgiveness and then repentance. Repentance is we stop and we turn. And this is where the live to righteousness comes in. After repentance takes place in our heart, we then see Jesus and we go, thank you for forgiving me, Lord. But then there's Christ and we live to God. We live for righteousness. We turn and we go to him. And that's salvation, you guys. Too many of us get to this point and even the way it's preached sometimes that this is it. And then they live a mundane and nominal life or think, oh, I'm saved, I'm forgiven. I got my get out of hell free card, like Monopoly. I'm going to heaven, but that's about it. No. And I'm just going to put a warning out there. If you know somebody that that's their life and they have not turned to live for Christ and live to righteousness and have seen a transformation and a change as Grady preaches so much, change has to come. Change has to be visible. Change has to be experienced. And when we do make that turn and we see that, then we can say, yes, we see the fruit of what's happened internally. But too many people stop here. And we need to recognize that and pray for them and go, this doesn't add up because we'll take them to Peter. He says to die to sin, but live to righteousness. Just a little extra little commercial there for those. But here, I love Vincent about this. This is a great little add-on. He says here, the righteousness of God credited to me through Christ is not merely something I rest in, but it is also the premier saving reality by which God governs my life. According to Romans 6, when I obeyed the gospel call, I was both declared righteous and then I became a slave to that righteousness. Quite literally, the righteousness of God credited to me became my master on the day I was converted. And now I am daily called by God to surrender the members of my being as slaves to do whatever this righteousness dictates. That's the difference in saying, I'm forgiven and I know he's my savior, but then switching and repenting going, you're boss, you're my Lord, you're my master, you call the shots. Whatever you desire me to do, I'm going to do. Your righteousness, your ways govern my life from this point on. And it also helps me approach life to be able to endure when suffering and unjust, you know, injustice comes my way, how we respond. I love this. That I would be called to present my members as slaves of this imputed righteousness 
This implies that my justification has something to say by, to me by way of directing me how to live life each day. It directs me to do this by being holy. Hence, it could be said that sanctification is merely the lifelong process where I joyfully surrender myself to God's imputed righteousness and then do whatever this righteousness directs me to do. He wants this righteousness to master me. The more I exult in this reality of my justification in Christ, the more I position myself, this is the key, to feel the governing force of this sanctifying power in my life to make right choices. I'm going to read that one again, because this is what Peter's getting at. The die to sin, live to righteousness. Justification, sanctification. Twofold. The more I exult in the reality of my justification, my dying to sin, God declaring me righteous, Jesus looking to me and saying, you are not guilty. The more I then position myself to experience the full governing force of its sanctifying power in my life. And guys, that's what Peter's trying to get at here. When we die to sin and we're justified, in turn, something happens within with the transforming work of the Spirit that now we walk out sanctification on a daily basis to live to righteousness. And I love how Peter is just encouraging the church here. This is how you approach a pagan society. This is how we approach hostility in this world. And that's what Peter's addressing here. Remember the times. As Grady said, these are, he's referring to specifically here servants or Christians who are either in servanthood or slaves in a certain authoritarian way, but how we respond as Christians in this world. And how many of us know right now we're living in a pagan society? I love our country. I love the fact that God allowed me to be a citizen of the United States of America, but we're in a pagan society. And it's not going to get better. Just It's not going to get better. And guess what? That's okay. Because guess what? When times are hard and we've seen persecution over the years throughout the church, we've seen it globally over the years, and you can do, there's church history on it and movements across the world, but we've seen persecution after persecution after persecution. Guess what happens? Revival. God moves, power moves, and people come to saving faith, and we see a move of God. And we can expect that. I expect to see God continue to move in this country as things don't get better. And that's okay. And that's what we've been called to. Peter said it. You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. And it's something of a privilege we've been called to. Romans 6 ties this in a little bit to what we were just talking about. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you, may, that you obey its lusts. Here it is. And do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of righteous, unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, justification, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, sanctification. I mean, that's just clear. Again, we are dying to sin, living to righteousness. This is what we have been called to. And it's a privilege, and God is at work in us to be instruments of righteousness, to be set apart in this world, to live different, to look different to the glory of God. And what a privilege we have. So let's look back here again at verse 24. As Peter continues, 
to remind us of the beauty of the gospel. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. He goes back to Isaiah 53. Love this. Another passage we know very familiar. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he, Jesus, the suffering servant, was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening or our punishment for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. And so again, God prophesying that one day through Jesus' suffering, his punishment, the stripes, the beating, the whipping that he experienced, his scourging, his wounds, his stripes, we would be made whole. And that's what the word healing means here in verse 24. By his wounds you were healed. We were made whole spiritually. It's a spiritual sickness. We were broken. We were sick. We were dead spiritually. That's what this is referring to. By his wounds you were healed. Because of his sacrifice and the wounds Jesus received, we can be healed and made whole spiritually. That we have access now to the throne of grace, the mercy of God, as spiritually dead, sick, broken sinners, iniquitous people, and through his pain and suffering, we were made whole. This is where Peter, again, is reminding the Christians here, remember where you were. Guys, one of the greatest things we can do is to meditate on where God has brought us out of our sinfulness, out of our depravity, out of our selfishness and our pride to where God has brought us to be made whole and alive and new in him. That's what's going to continue to build our faith for us to trust him and acknowledge what he's done and how we can take steps in this world to patiently endure when things get difficult. So Peter, again, coming down is just a wonderful way he's flowing through this toward the last verse. Let's look now at verse 25. And I love how what he does here. He just brings it all together as a reminder, as Grady says, to put off and to put on, to remind us of our previous state. Verse 25, Peter says, For you are continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. And again, I thank Steve and the praise team for um, doing shepherd for me. I asked about that because as many of you know, I love Psalm 23. I love teaching it. It's one of my favorite things to talk about is Jesus as our shepherd. And I just love how Peter did this. Peter coming down the home stretch here and throwing in now, number one, remember where you were. And now remember where you are now, where the Lord has brought you. But here, giving the beautiful depiction and the betrayal, portrayal and the nature of God as our shepherd and our guardian. Remember, this society knows a lot about sheep herding. They would have understand this very clearly when they hear the word shepherd and guardian. The two Greek words for this are synonymous. They're almost identical. <clears throat> the Greek word for shepherd is poimen, which literally means to pasture someone. It's where we get the word pastor and elder. And the word guardian here, some of your Bibles may say overseer, is the Greek word episkopos, which means a curator or a manager, we get the, where we get the word bishop. But again, it's two sides of the same coin. They're the same person. A shepherd is a guardian and an overseer, and an overseer and a guardian is a shepherd. It's one and the same. But what I love about this is Peter is expressing, and for the reader, for the Christians here, to see the beauty and the nature of God and the heart of Christ and who he is. And I love in verse 25 how he said, you are continually straying like sheep. And again, him bringing this reminder, this whole aspect 
of being like sheep. What he's using this example is that when a sheep is a part of a flock and that sheep can either slip out to go through a fence or another part um, of the area wherever the herd is in a pasture, the mindset of that sheep is, and this is where Peter's getting at, he's using it as an analogy, a figurative, figurative language, that the sheep who gets lost, who leaves the herd, the mindset of that sheep, which remember, sheep are the dumbest animal on the planet. Let's all just put that out there again, a little breeze thing. And what are we all called? Sheep? Okay. That's okay. We can be called dumb. In this context, it's true. So these sheep, like, look outside the fence and go, ooh, the grass may be greener on the other side, or ooh, I may can go find a better place to lie down or whatever. But they're seeking something else other than the safety, protection, love, and care of their shepherd. And this is our mindset before Christ. When we're lost in our lostness as unbelievers, who are we living for? Us. We're like a lost sheep living for ourselves, trying to find satisfaction and delight and love and care in everything else in the world other than him. And that's why I love the way that Peter used this. You guys were like sheep that were lost out there on your own. And for everybody that knows what we've taught, what is the result of most lost sheep in the wilderness? What's the result 99% of the time? Death. Because of predators, wolves, cougars, everything. They're looking for them. That's, and who's our enemy? Who's, who, who's the one? That's Satan. He loves us as, number one, lost sheep in general because he gets to govern. And there's a little context here. So as a lost sheep who's an unbeliever out there doing your own thing, and what Peter is saying here is your shepherd, your rescuer, the one who loves you, who came to die, to suffer, has come to rescue you. He has sought you out. No sheep is waddling out in the wilderness and comes in across the fence or wherever and walks up to the shepherd and go, can I be a part of your herd? That doesn't happen. That's the beauty of this. The shepherd, our God, our guardian, comes after us to rescue us, to convict us, to draw us, to change us, to transform us. And that's what Peter's getting at here. Remember you were lost. Remember your former state. And now remember that you've been returned. You've been restored. You've been reconciled to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. The one who loves you, wants to protect you, care for you, provide for you, all the things that a shepherd does. Oversee your life, manage your life, give guidance. This is who you have been returned to. This is who Jesus is. And when you remember that former state and then remember this new position that you're in, this is what reminds us and helps build our faith and builds an opportunity for us to trust God more in these situations when we may suffer unjustly. Just as a reminder, John 10 one of my favorite chapters dealing with the shepherd. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for sheep. I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Ezekiel 34, God said, I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. And that's just another great reminder of God's heart, his nature, he seeks the lost. He brings back the scattered, binds us the broken, and strengthens the sick. Last thing here in Isaiah chapter 40. I love this. Chapter 40, verse 10. Yeah, sorry about the... Um, actually, do Isaiah 53, 6. My bad, Brad. Forgot about that one. 
I love this. This again, Isaiah 53 again, toward the end. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And again, that's what Peter's thinking about. I love the fact that he's bringing Isaiah 53 into this, that God is using this old passage for Peter to bring in to encourage the church, that he knew we were all like sheep, going astray, doing our own thing, but God has restored us and caused our iniquity to fall upon Christ so that he can restore us. And lastly, Isaiah 40. I just love this again, this description of a shepherd. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and he will carry them in his bosom and he will gently lead the nursing ewes. And what I love about this is obviously Peter is communicating to those who are struggling in the society for them to recognize as they suffer unjustly, as they might be mocked or persecuted. How do you respond? We are to be like Christ. We are to follow in his steps to remember and stand firm in the fact that we know where we've been. We know where we are now. We acknowledge and recognize what God has done in our lives, that we can suffer unjustly and persevere and patiently endure for the glory of God, recognizing that Jesus experienced it to the nth degree. How can we not as well? How can we not follow and suffer like our Savior did? Just like Peter and Andrew. You know, Andrew was crucified. I think he was the ex, or was Peter the ex? One was crucified upside down. The other was crucified on a, you know, on a cross like an ex. But the fact that they took, they knew they were going to suffer and they were going to be martyred for the gospel. But they didn't want to do it exactly like Jesus. But the most of the apostles in the day understood this was going to be a part of their calling. They were going to suffer for the sake of the gospel, for the kingdom of God to advance, for it to go forth. And that's my heart for us this morning. First, for those of you that don't know the Lord, I implore you this morning, cry out to God. Even now, Lord, I don't, I've never come to you. I may not understand. I may be still living for myself. I don't want to give things up. I don't want to give my life over. But if you're real, and everything CJ has said today is the true reality, reveal yourself. Show me who you are. Convict my heart. Bring me to a place of repentance. I want to come to you if this is true. I don't want to live for myself. I don't want to be a sheep lost and straying away. Ask God to forgive you. Come to Jesus this morning. Why not now? What an amazing, glorious day as we celebrate the hope we have in Christ to be able to submit and to repent and to come to Jesus. And for those of us that are believers in here, again, maybe you haven't been living with the hope of Christ. Maybe you haven't represented that hope. We heard this morning, Lydia with our teenagers shared a very sad and difficult story where she's been ministering to some unbelievers. And this one young man attempted to take his life recently that she knows personally. And she shared it with the youth today. What an amazing opportunity that God in his providence saved this young man. He obviously almost died. God spared him for Lydia to be that vessel of hope, the vessel of love, the vessel of grace, the vessel of mercy. And he called her knowing he's going to receive that, even though he doesn't believe in the one she has hope in. But we've been called to be that person, that vessel, that instrument that it says in Romans of righteousness and hope for others. And what a season this is to be that, you guys, we all know. Some people are depressed for the next month. 
Some people are borderline taking their own life for the next month. This season is difficult for many people. I lost my cousin back in January, 57 years old. Two kids, I miss her every day. And this is our first holiday without her. There's a part of this holiday with my cousin, my aunt, and others. It's, it's going to be hard. They're suffering right now. They're in grief and sorrow. But as family, we're going to be vessels of hope and encouragement and joy and to come alongside and encourage. And there's, I know every one of you in this room know multiple people that need that hope today. And you've been called to be that, to be called for the purpose of suffering unjustly. And in the midst of that, because we have hope, we can endure and walk through it and then be that hope for others. And we can do that. And I ask you, look for it this season. I'm asking you, ask God to open divine doors and divine appointments for you to be a vessel of hope in a situation this season. Ask for it. God, help me. Prepare me. Use me in whatever capacity to be able to do that for your glory and for your honor and to see the gospel go forth. We have been called to that. What a joy it is to be able to represent the hope of Christ. I'm going to read one last little thing before I read and we have communion. One commentary just kind of brought a good summary for all of this. And again, at the time, had completely forgot that we were doing the advent of hope, kicking it off this week. And just the way this paragraph ends is just so appropriate. The commentary says, What words of exhortation and encouragement for the Asian Christians facing threat from a world that would grow increasingly hostile to Christianity? Peter lets Isaiah speak directly to their situation. Don't be afraid of the unjust suffering you're experiencing. It is not evidence that God has forsaken you. To the contrary, it is evidence that God has chosen you. Do not wander off from Christ, for God will strengthen you to face life as a Christian. God has made you secure because Jesus has suffered the ultimate injustice, and yet he lives. And you and us have been born again into that living hope. So let's look to our living hope this morning, saints. What an opportunity we have. And as Peter has encouraged us to do, to acknowledge and recognize that with what he has done for us and looking to him, we too in turn can represent the kingdom of God as salt and light and to bring that hope to those around us. And what a fitting time, amen, for communion. Amazing day. I just love how God sets all this up that we can celebrate what he has done for us through the bread and through the juice of his broken body and his shed blood. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Just want to read this over us. Chapter yeah, 11, verse 23 through 30. Just want to read this over us before we uh, take communion. And I just ask you right now as I read this, just ask the Holy Spirit to start preparing your hearts. For those of you that know him, for those of you that don't, we just ask that you um, gracefully just stay where you are in your seat. And, and as I encouraged you before, as you see people coming forward to celebrate this, just ask the Lord to reveal himself during this time. As you're seeing people come forward and, and celebrate the hope that we have in his sacrifice, that you would ask God to reveal that to you. And he's literally saying to each and every one of you in here, come to me, come to me, and he will give you rest and hope and transformation, and a joy that you can't even imagine. So just ask him this morning as we get to partake in this. 
And Paul says, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed broke, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we did this morning. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. As the worship team comes forward, just ask that you do what Paul encouraged us to do. We examine ourselves. We ask the Holy Spirit to reveal anything in our hearts that may need to be dealt with and ask forgiveness for. And if there's anything, one thing I always like to put out there, it's that sometimes we forget. There's some relational friction going on in the room, husbands, wives, parents, kids. This is a time to do some business. Why not now? To just reconcile, help each other out, let God work on your hearts. Lord may prompt you to go to somebody or stir something in your heart about someone that you need to ask the Lord to forgive you for. So the deacons are going to come forward and the ushers are going to be on the outside. And here in the middle, we're going to have two lines form in the middle. Uh, we have some gluten-free elements here. We have some uh, personal ones in the back there and back here that's all inclusive if you don't want to come forward to take the bread in this way. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace. God, thank you, thank you for your gospel. Oh, Lord, as Mahaney said, God, may we be passionate about the gospel. And Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege, as you have encouraged us to do, to look at the bread, to look at the cup, to recognize what you did for us, that you uh, had your body broken, that you had your blood was shed for us. Every single drop of your blood was shed for our sins. And we thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. May we remember that, maybe recognize the beauty of that. Lord, help our hearts, deal with our hearts, that so we've come before you to be cleansed. We thank you and praise you for who you are. We pray, Lord, that the gospel will continue to guide us and direct us and strengthen us as we look to you in Jesus' name.
Yeah. 
we could just stay here all day and just thank you for what you've done for us. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have in this life as you've called us to be instruments of hope and instruments of grace. God, to be a part of advancing your kingdom in this world and representing you well. Lord, I just pray for each one of us in this room that first that know you, would recognize that, that today we were reminded of the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the gospel, that is the power of salvation. It gives us strength and hope and purpose. It builds our faith, recognizing where we've been and where you have brought us. Where we were dead, we're now alive. Where we were in darkness, we're now in light. Where there was chaos, you have brought peace. Thank you, Lord. And I just pray for all of us in this room that we know friends, family members that aren't experiencing the hope of Christ today. God, that we would be reminded to intercede for them, to stand in the gap for them. God, to even be proactive after today to just go have another chat, have another talk, be able to bring the truth of who you are before them again. Just express love and care and compassion to those that don't know you. Thank you we have the privilege to be able to represent the beauty of the gospel. For those in this room that right now may be struggling or still seeking or asking questions, please talk to someone that you're with. Come talk to me afterwards. If it's a child or a teenager, talk to your parents. If you're here with a friend, just have a conversation. God wants to meet with you. He wants to come to where you are and to rescue you, to show you his love and grace. God, thank you for the privilege of being able to be in this room, to worship with you, to declare your glory. So many places can't do that today, especially on this weekend of Thanksgiving. We are so grateful, God. You are so good. We rest in you today. As we leave here, God, guide and direct us. Give us opportunities to be vessels of hope and instruments of grace wherever you've called us. In Jesus' name, amen.